Hi there and welcome. Now it's time for America's favorite podcast. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. If it's fly, loose fit it. It's Cortez. If freeze and chubbies in it. It's Cortez. Leave your mark. It's about inspiring the world. One guess at a time. Pass the word from Brooklyn to Pittsburgh, from urban to suburb. It's Cortez, you heard? And here is our host, Vince Cortez. This is Leave Your Mark. I'm Vince Cortez, and today's guest is Maxwell Ivey. He is a former carnival owner, an award-winning self-help author, motivational speaker, an online media publicist, and a host of What's Your Excuse podcast. He is most known for being the blind blogger. Maxwell, thanks for being your guest here today. Well, thanks, Vinny. I appreciate it. Now, yours is the most interesting story because of how it happens and, and develops in your youth. So share with me where you were born and raised. Right. I was born and raised in Spring, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. Uh, when I was growing up, it was really just beginning to be a suburb and was still uh, mostly farms and some residential areas. Okay, now you had um, siblings, uh, Michael and Patrick, both younger brothers. Yeah, and... well, Michael is a year and a half younger than I am, and Patrick is seven years younger than I am. And then your father was uh, Maxwell also, and your mother, Patsy. Now, right. your dad was in construction, and he ran a carnival business. And your mother helped out in the uh, office area of the carnival. So this is all in Texas. Now, you went to uh, Klein High School. And yeah. during that time, you were in Scouts and working at the carnival with your family. You graduated a political science major at Texas A&M. And all through this period in your youth, you're starting to lose your vision. So can you share with me when you first discovered this and then the progression of that? Right. Well, the family started noticing that I was uh, bumping into more things and falling down more often than the rest of the kids. So they started with a, a regular uh, family doctor and they referred them over to an eye doctor. And luckily, we went to one of the few doctors here in the area at that time who knew what retinitis pigmentosa was or what the long-term effects of it would be. So uh, I would say for the first five or six years after my diagnosis, I really didn't completely understand what it was or what was happening, but I knew that my vision was gradually getting worse. Uh, I went from being able to read a regular print book in a dark room to having to have a lot of light, to having to have a magnifying glass to having to use a closed circuit monitor and putting the book up on a screen and then eventually going to audio and braille. So about the time I entered junior high school, I had a big drop off of vision, was officially legally blind at that point. And that's when I started to use the white cane and started to learn to read braille. Now you're in high school at this point, going through this part of the process? Junior high school. Oh my word. So you're still a teenager here. So there's a lot of things going on you know, providing that your health and so forth was normal. So can you share with me some of the thoughts you were having as you were experiencing this decline at that age? Right. Well, uh, another thing that I was lucky to have is I grew up in a family of people who did things, who didn't spend a lot of time 
thinking about what they didn't have or, you know, the breaks that life would give them. So for the most part, it was really just the rest of the family found a way to include me, you know, so the brothers and cousins, when we would play games in the backyard, they would change the rules so that I could participate from say about six or seven through junior high school. I would say the things that were the most difficult that aggravated and, and frustrated me the most was not being able to go into the library and pick up a book and read the book there in the library or take it home with me. A lot of times people would buy me a toy or a game and it would turn out after I got it out of the box that I couldn't play with it. And that would be very, very frustrating. Uh, one of my favorite memories was one year I was given, I think about a half a dozen different board games that were adapted with braille and large print and larger pieces. So that was, that was fun. I could play with the rest of the kids. Uh, so I would say reading uh, that, of course, you know, a lot of people going into junior high school, they're, they're looking forward to being able to drive. So that's something that I never did. I did have a friend who took me out in his field once and let me drive his tractor around. That was fun. So, uh, you know, at this point, a lot of people with retinitis pigmentosa have a big drop off in their vision, especially men when they enter puberty. So I used to joke with people until I realized it was not such a good joke. I would say, you know, about the time I would have wanted to look at girls, I couldn't see them anymore. <laughs> well, I could see them in two dimensions, but, you know, there's really not a lot of fun in that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have friends who think that's, you know, that I'm probably less educated when it comes to women than the average man, which really puts me behind the eight ball because of, of not being able to see during that important time of my life, as you mentioned. But I also feel like that there are, have been many times in my life where not being able to see has, has been a benefit to me. I, I like to tell people to think about it this way. I can't go to the beach and look at the women in the bikinis but I don't have to go to the beach and look at the women who shouldn't be wearing bikinis. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in how you look at stuff, you know? Um, That's true. It's all in how you look at it. You can decide to find good in things or you can just decide to be unhappy. And, you know, sadly, there are millions of people who get up every day and look at their social media feed and they are already unhappy before they even read the first post, you know, because they've, they've decided <laughs> to be unhappy. And, that's one of the big advantages of growing up in a family of carnival owners. And my dad and my family, they did find a way to include me. They would let me help set up and take down the rides, but only if there were other family members to make sure that I was doing it safely and that the paid help weren't going to lose track of me and let me get hurt. You know, um, I worked in the cotton candy stand first with my grandmother and then with my mom when she took it over because they figured as long as I was inside the trailer with them, I couldn't get into no trouble. You know, I put butter on popcorn and syrup on snow cones and uh, poured drinks from the soda fountain. So uh, I started working at five or six because, like I said, when when the family was traveling for the carnival work, they didn't want me out on the midway where I might, you know, bump into some drunk cowboy and start a brawl. You know, because <laughs> I don't know about, I don't know how, how they are in California, but here in Texas, it doesn't take a lot to stampede a herd full of male, of, of people cattle, you know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. My dad once bought this belt for me, tried to get me to wear it, but I refused to. It was basically, it, it had kind of like lights on it, like you would put on a car so that people would know which way I was going next. You know, he's like, okay, Max, when you, you if you're wearing this, 
you know, press this button here and then people will know you're going left. And I'm like, no, we ain't doing this. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Be our friend on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You are listening to Vince Cortez. We just want you to leave your mark. Let me touch back on this because I think this is amazing that you'd experience all this in your youth. So by the time you go to graduate and get into Texas A&M, you're legally blind. So you complete a, a four-year degree and you get ambitious and you're prepared to go into the real world, you go and work for the IRS. So share with me the, 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 the transition of being in school in that arena to going out into the work world. Right. Well, uh, the, the teachers at my high school did a lot to prepare me to go to college. I started at Blend Community College in Brenham for my first two years, and then I transferred to what was Corpus Christi State University, but what later became Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi. Go Islanders. Well, it's been a long time since I could say Go Islanders and people knew who the heck I was talking about because they were in the, the NCAA tournament last month. Okay. They got bounced in the play-in round, but they were still in there and they still cashed a check. So Yeah, no, that's right. They made name for themselves. Yeah, they're more known for their volleyball and windsurfing teams, though. Okay. Um, they got a killer women's volleyball team. They will take it, they will play anybody anywhere. They're, so started at a community college, which as you know, the difference is in, at, a, at, major, at a major university, there'll be there can be three, five, even six hundred people in a first year classroom. And at a community college, there were 30 to, to 40 or 50 in a first-year classroom. And then after two years there, I went to uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi and, uh, you know, and did okay there. Got my, got my bachelor's in political science. Uh, had a little trouble with the law school admissions test. So was not, uh, was not good enough to be accepted in any of the universities that, that I applied to. And uh, so I, I was told about this program at the Lions World Services for the Blind in Arkansas, where they train people to go to work for the Internal Revenue Service. And I went there. Uh, I was a really good student there. And they sent me to work in what's called an automated collection site in Oklahoma. And basically what an automated collection site is, is, is if you don't pay the IRS or you go enough years without filing your returns, they will send you this letter. And this letter basically says all the mean, nasty things they can do to you if you don't get right with the world. <laughs> and, you know, like seizing your property, filing tax liens, garnishing your bank, all these mean, nasty things to say. So when they get this letter, there's a phone number on that letter. I worked in the office where that number connects to when they dial that number. Oh, and, my word. And I spent a lot of time on the phone talking to people who were already mad at me, who accused me of throwing their kids out of their house and putting them on the streets and taking food out of their mouths and all sorts of other things. Um, I handled four suicide claims in the three years that I worked there. Oh. The first one was in, my, was in my first few months before I realized that they had a special department for handling suicide claims. And I actually, <laughs> I actually handled this claim all by myself when I wasn't supposed to, but uh, I had this guy who was a truck driver and they'd garnished his wages and he was, he was going to get like maybe 40% of his regular pay. And, you know, he's one of these guys, he's, he's basically working from check to check. He doesn't have half his money to give away to the IRS, you know? So he's like, I might as well just put my shotgun in my mouth and end it all. And I go, wait a minute now, let's don't do that. 
And I I found I found out that the his employer was reading the garnishment form wrong. And instead of taking 40% of his pay, he should have been exempt. They should have never taken a single dollar from him. And I said, Oh my. So I explained that to the office and I explained that to his to his employer and they fix it. They take care of it. And the whole time I'm thinking, this guy's driving a tractor trailer. This thing's weigh like a hundred thousand pounds. What happens? If instead of just deciding to take him, he wants to take a bunch of other folks with him, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I get off the call and I go to my manager and she's like, Max, you can't do that. We have a whole department for that. I said, well, it's done now. So they assigned a special person to talk to him just to make sure. But the funniest part of this whole thing, the rest of the story to borrow Paul Harvey's line is a couple of months later, a guy drives into our parking lot in a tractor trailer and he walks in and he wants to speak to Max Ivy. He says he wants to speak to the guy who took care of his problem uh, and made it go away. And just he just wants to let him know how much he thinks of Max Ivy. They had to explain to him that the only computer in the building that Max Ivy has access to is on the fourth floor. So if he comes down here, he can't talk to you because he can't document it. And you can't go up there. So it took him a while to explain to him that he wasn't going to be able to physically thank Max Ivy. But I tell you, he made a real impression on my whole office. And uh, But it's one of the things, I just didn't know I wasn't supposed to do it. And I think that a lot of times in life, we can accomplish some really great things if we either don't know what we're doing or don't think about it. So in that case, I may have saved a guy's life. I may have saved who knows how many other people. And, I've, and I really haven't thought about that in years. But, uh, you know, just because I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do it, I only knew that, hey, this guy needs help. And I'm the guy he's talking to right this minute. So I'm going to figure out a way to help him, you know. And just one other thought that I've, I've that has come to me about my college degree that I didn't know until recently, I wanted to share it with you because I think this remind, reminds me as well as it, it will impress on other people the, the challenges involved. I recently found out that of first time college students with a disability, less than 15% of them will complete their degree. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were talking about, you know, one in six or seven people will actually complete a degree. So I completed my degree. It took me five years instead of four, but I got it done. Um, I'm also one of the few blind eagles, which I was I was part of a scout troop here in the Houston area that was sponsored by the Bell Telephone Pioneers. And they uh, basically figured out ways for us blind kids to be scouts. And I completed all the same requirements that a sighted person would. And on August 22nd, 1984, I had my quarter of honor and got my Eagle Scout Award. So I'm one of the few... Blind eagles. They say only three percent of the of all the boys that that are in scouting ever get there. But there's no numbers on people with vision loss or other disabilities. So I would assume the number is much lower and much rarer. I think is they didn't know that they hired somebody who was qualified for the position beyond what you were given. <laughs> yeah, um, that that's an incredible story because when people are receiving a phone call from the IRS, uh, that, that is not a good energy of which they're going to <laughs> receive that call on yeah. any front. Oh and, yeah. And, and, and I mean, for you to, to go through that story and then provide a, a return for him, which was beyond his wildest dreams of being tax exempt. He, I could see why he was making this strong effort to reach out to you. 
he still had to change his, his withholdings because he wasn't having enough taxes taken out, but he was exempt from the garnishment, which was the main, which was the immediate problem. And then we were able to work on his, on his other problems to get him straight from then on. That's outstanding. You gave that, that man sleeps good to the day since you helped him out. If you are listening from Australia, Florida, or just from around the corner. From East Coast to West Coast outlets, if you're not to the dirty South straight, make a left and body Contact us. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. What I want to do now is just you worked there for three years in this automated collections. And then you decide to go back to the carnival and work with your family. And when you get back there, it's like you kind of reestablish what's going on and share with me in that 10 year window what happens. Right. So uh, I finally got to the point with the IRS where it just was, was the, the, the impact on my health was no longer worth what they were paying me for it. And I basically said, you know, I can live from check to check at home and be a lot happier than I am here. And my only real regret uh, when I left the IRS, it, I had, there's two things I did wrong. One is I had never worked for an employer before, so I didn't know that, uh, that if you quit without taking your leave, they get to keep it. So I should have taken my leave and then quit, and I would have, would have had money coming in for another probably five or six months. The other thing is, is when I was at the IRS, I had really good credit. So I wish I had taken, I wish, I wish I had went to the bank and borrowed some money to buy a carnival ride with before I left. I, I wish I had done that too. That would have been smart. That would have been really smart. That would have been smart. Well, I live and learn, it. right? Yeah, live and learn. So I, so I go back and I joined the carnival, I back up with the carnival. As I say, I, I felt like either way, if, if it comes down to a choice between, between being happy or unhappy and pretty much being in the same shape financially, I'd rather be happy. So I went back, stayed with the family. I bought a used game trailer from my brother that he was uh, no longer needing because he had bought a better one. And I'm telling you, this was a glorified piece of junk. It was a wood frame trailer with sheet metal. And uh, once a year, the axles would come off of it and we'd have to reconnect the box to the axles. But oh my yeah, we had a we had a, a lucky a pick 'em up duck game and a and a tag balloon game in it, and that that raggedy old trailer made me a lot of money over a lot of years in the carnival business. I did the bookings, so I did a lot of cold calling, and in fact, doing cold calling with my dad is where I came up with one of my my most well known catchphrases, which is, "If you don't ask, they can't say yes." Because you see, we were a small carnival. We were seven, eight, sometimes nine rides in Texas competing against carnivals with two or three times as many rides as we had with newer, flashier, scarier equipment than we owned. So the only way we could get bookings was to find people who didn't have enough, didn't have anybody else so they would take us. And that meant making a lot of phone calls and getting told no a lot. And every so often I would complain and I'd go, uh-uh, Dad, I don't want to do this no more. He would go, if you don't ask, they can't say yes. Now stop complaining about it and call that next number I give you. Excellent That's, advice. Oh, yeah. I like but it. The, yeah, but this is, you know, before real computers, or at least before, you know, having a portable computer with speech was something pretty common. Uh, I was keeping all my notes on a Perkins Braille writer. And oh, my. Yeah. I mean, I had sheets and sheets of Braille paper with numbers I had called. You know, if you had an open week, you just started going back through all that paper and trying to figure out, was well, there somebody, you know, maybe somebody. 
Um, so I did the bookings, I operated the kids' games, I helped set up and take down carnival rides. Uh, no, it never got bad enough that they had me to drive, but there, you know, I was <laughs> there were weeks where we thought about it, but you know, it, was, it just it just wasn't possible, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, so I'm involved in the carnival, and me and my and my dad and my brother Patrick, we are working to grow the carnival, and we're still we're still struggling. But in 2003, he passed away to lung cancer. And by 2006, we are out of the business. We've sold our rides and we're working on my uncle's Carnival Midway. Uh, now, my uncle, Albert Wagner, he's passed away by now, but his son, Jason Wagner, is still running Wagner's Kitty Carnival. They, they still call themselves Wagner's Kitty Carnival, even though they got 35 plus rides and they own several billion dollars worth of equipment. You know, it's it's just the name that stuck with them, I guess. It, it, it implies that they're a wholesome family operation, which they are, as opposed to a big-time corporate carnival. So I guess it makes some marketing sense. So, But his son and now his grandsons are in the business. And so we, like I said, we sold our rides. We're on his midway. He doesn't want me to, do, to help with the bookings. Uh, my games were never really built to be on a big midway. They, you know, they made good money on a small show where there might be four or five games, but not successful on a show where there would be 20 or 30 or some weeks, even 40 different games for people to choose from. So eventually I'm at this point where my game is losing money and my mom is having to take money out of her food trailer in order to buy the stock so I can keep working. And I tell them, I go, look, why do I have to be here? And they're like, well, if you're not here, where would you be? I mean, you're, you're part of the family. You need to be on the midway. And I'm like, not if it's not serving any purpose, I don't. So it took the entire season of 2007 or 2008 to finally convince them to let me just stay home and go and work, work completely on helping other people sell their used rides, which is, you know, one of those interesting things. As, as our business went out of business, we had these rides that somebody had to sell. So I did it. And then when I realized that my, my I wasn't going to be able to make money on my uncle's Midway. I started a website called the Midway Marketplace where I still help people sell used rides and games and other related equipment and uh, started doing that full time. I filed for the domain name in September of 2007 and the website was finally online in January or February of 2008. But I'm telling you, I thought running a carnival was hard. Having an online business as a blind guy, that was, man, I mean, because I had to learn so much stuff. The first thing I had to do was I had to teach myself how to code HTML just to get my website online. So, I mean, oh, just man. Imagine, yeah, just imagine a blind guy with no skills, talent, money, or experience. Uh, this was before WordPress, Facebook, or even Wi-Fi. I mean, just imagine trying to upload a photo to your website so you could advertise a carnival ride on a 56K moto. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You I have mean, the patience of a saint. Uh, well, what I want, I, is, yeah. is I want to bring you forward now. So the Midway Marketplace is something that's still in check, but you've become fully equipped at what you're about to take on now. And this is the beginning of your blind blogger in around 2016. If you have a story to share, tell us how are you going to leave your mark? Contact us, leave your mark with our host, Vince Cortez, be our guest. How does Blind Blogger get started and what does it turn into? 
Right. Well, I really have to credit my friend Adrian Smith, who I like to call my blogging mama, who, uh, you know, I've been blogging since 2009 for the Midway Marketplace. And she taught me everything I know about uh, the power of commenting on people's work, sharing their content and building relationships through blog commenting. And so she really helped me grow that first website. And she had been trying to tell me for a couple of years, she's like, Max, there is more to you than selling used carnival junk. And I'm like, uh, I'm nothing special. I'm just a guy who shows up every day and I work my butt off and I try, I'm trying to build a business that will help support the family. And she's finally like, no, Max, that's not how the rest of the world sees you. And so she finally explained to me, so here's the way it works. She said, you have a built-in excuse. If Max decided to sit on his couch and eat, eat junk food and watch TV or listen to the radio, nobody would say nothing about it because you're Max and you're totally blind. But the fact that you show up and take on these difficult challenges anyway when you have this excuse is what makes you compelling. And she says, on top of that, you have to realize there are millions of people out there who don't have the same uh, roadblocks that you do who are not doing anything with their lives. They're sleepwalking through their days. They're not challenging themselves. They're happy with their comfortable existence, even if that comfortable existence is not really all that comfortable to them. So she said, the, the fact that you have an excuse and don't use it. And so I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need a website. What am I going to call myself? And so I put that out on social media and the immediate response was, Max, we've been calling you the blind blogger as a former shorthand for over two years now. So see if that's available. And the blindblogger.com wasn't, but .net was. And so, you know, here we are. We've, we've started the blindblogger.net. And my first post was actually titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration, which, uh, like I said, took me a lot to get to that point. And there are some days where I still don't get it, but I, I, I continue to live and work. And, you know, there's a, there's a great line from Star Trek uh, first, first Contact where the guy says, just be a man and let history worry about the rest. So I just continue to do the work and let them worry about whether I'm inspiration or not. And as a result of the blindblogger.net and the posts I shared and a dare from an online, uh, from an online summit creator, uh, I wrote my first book in 2014. I've since written four altogether. Uh, I competed in a, in a writer's competition by Amtrak where I won a trip anywhere in uh, the United States and chose to go by myself to New York City during December and January of 2016-17. I've spoken at conferences. I've sung in public. I started my own podcast, What's Your Excuse? I've been on hundreds of podcasts. I've booked people on podcasts. I've taught people how to be great guests on podcasts. Uh, I recently wrote my first song, and now I have a podcast network where I'm trying to help other people with disabilities get their start online. So I want to touch on that stuff, real quick. All that, all that stuff started from the blind blogger, and the blind blogger started from the Midway Marketplace, and all of this started from September 27th, 2007, when I filed for a domain name, not knowing how the heck I was ever going to do anything with it. That's an incredible story, Max. Well, I, I want to touch on your, because uh, what's your excuse podcast is going great. Uh, it's wyexcuse.com. And as you just touched on there, you're now a course creator. So you're showing other people with a blind disability how to start their own podcast. Now, your inspiration is going to another level here, Max. You're going to have to calm down a little bit 
because <laughs> you're coming like a great ball of fire. I mean, the, the reality of your inner spirit and your drive is just, it, it's, it's unbelievably inspiration. And uh, I, I admire, I mean, your work and your diligence, uh, your patience and all the qualities that you carry. Uh, people should just get a little bit of that and they're going to go a long way. So right. what I want to do here is, is, you know, I wanted you to share uh, how you would like to leave your mark. I mean, you're using your reality to lead, lead the way and how to create a life of your desires and you're letting nothing, no disability or anything get in your way. So how would you like to be remembered? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough question. Uh, a couple of things I need to mention is, is one, a, a lot of times in my life I've done stuff because people challenged me or dared me to do it. I've done a lot of other things because I was curious about them and wanted to see what they're all about. Uh, I've done a lot of things not really realizing what they were at the time, just, just went ahead and did things. So uh, I like to tell people that I'm not really anything unique because I believe that if, if people think that Max is a unicorn, then they're going to think that there's no way they can do what Max has done. And that's far from the truth. I just have been lucky. I've had a lot of bad experiences in my life that I chose to find good in. There again, you have to make a decision. I've had lots of great role models, grandmother, father, cousins, people on the internet, you know, I've had a lot of great people in my community online and in person who have supported me and, and told me to go ahead and do things even when I was trying to talk myself out of them. So there, there really isn't all these great things that me and Vinny have been talking about. Pretty much anybody can do them if they're willing to take some action and take some risks. They're willing to do it anyway. Be scared, but do it anyway. And uh, so as far as leaving my mark, I think I want to inspire more people to go after their passion. But I want to take this inspiration thing a little farther. Uh, I have no problem with people seeing me as an inspiration, but I always want to know the answer to this question. If I inspired you, what did I inspire you to do? Because inspiration without action is meaningless. So I love hearing from people who will tell me, you know, Max, you inspired me or Max, you challenged me or you know, Max, if, if I've seen that you're doing this stuff, so I have to ask myself, what's my excuse? Uh, so I think that my legacy is going to be to continue to challenge myself and also to encourage, encourage others to help people uh, accomplish their goals. And that's why I'm really proud of my course, uh, the blindblogger.net slash rockstar, where I teach people how to be great podcast guests. I'm really proud of the website, wyexcuse.com, where I'm helping people with disabilities launch their own podcasts. And, and I'm also looking to help people who want to support the disabled to start podcasts. I mean, I want to create this community of people that can encourage each other, that can solve problems for each other, and that can promote each other's shows so we can grow our audiences to the point that those who want to can make money. And those who don't want to make money can use them as a platform to advocate. But all of that takes an audience 
it's hard to build an audience as a single person, as you well know, Vinny. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so I, I, so my, my, my thing I really want to, I really want to leave is a community, uh, and not just a community of the visually impaired, not just a community of people with disabilities, but a community of everybody who wants to improve the lives of people with disabilities. And the really cool thing is, and this is something a lot of people in the tech world know. When you change the lives of people with disabilities, quite often you change the lives for everybody else at the same time. So I'm really hoping to create a community here that's going to educate, entertain, and inspire. And oh yeah, make some of us enough money so that they can get off of disability or so they can quit the job they don't really enjoy going to. This is fantastic. Yeah, um, just it's it's amazing, Max. The the you're just your drive is huge and i believe that all of what you're suggesting and is going to happen um i don't know of anybody else who has to cite this ability as yourself that's promoting how to make podcasts for people with the same disability so i mean you're you're unique in that light so you got a blue ocean and the, it's <laughs> it's beyond it's beyond heartwarming to know that you know, your mission is to challenge other people, not just to inspire them. And I agree with you. If there's no action behind the inspiration, then nothing happens. So I, I, I am truly blessed to have you come on today and share your story. I want to encourage all the listeners to go on the links that we're going to put here on this podcast episode and, and in the links when they find the episode. So uh, I appreciate your time, Max, and, and we're going to be looking forward to what you, what you do next. So thanks for being our guest. Well, I appreciate it so much, too, Vinny. Uh, I want to thank you because without people like you, uh, nobody would have ever heard of the blind blogger or what's your excuse if it weren't for podcasters like yourself. And uh, I also have to thank you for allowing me to talk about some things today. I don't get a lot of opportunities to talk about another podcast, and I I think that uh, in the next few weeks, you're going to see some blog posts from me that are going to have been inspired by our conversation because you've reminded me there are some great things that I have done or experienced that I don't talk about enough. So thank you for that. That's a really big thing as a, as a blogger and a podcaster. I really appreciate you for it. You're welcome. I'm glad I was able to do that. That's, that's really, that's kind of you to say. So just the truth, buddy. Just the, just the truth. <laughs> All right. Well, you be blessed and we're going to keep in track with you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Leave Your Mark today. Tune into our next episode of Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez. Be blessed. You just left your mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Listen to more episodes on demand. Just click Leave Your, your mark. mark with Vince Cortez. <laughs>